0: part 3 chapter 4 of quovadis a tale of the time of nero this librivox recording is in the public domain quovadis by henrik sinkevich translated by binyan and malevsky part 3 chapter 4 meanwhile the fire had reached the via nomentana a sudden change of the wind caused the flames to turn towards the via lata and the tiber they surrounded the capital and spread to the Ox Market destroying everything omitted in their first attack and again approached the Palatine Tigellinus gathered all the praetorian forces together and dispatched courier after courier to the approaching Caesar notifying him that he would miss nothing of the great spectacle since the conflagration was increasing but Nero elected to arrive during the night so that he might have a better view and sate himself with the sight of the perishing city With that object he halted near the Aqua Albana. Then he invited the tragedian Alatorus to his tent, and with his help decided how to pose, look, and express himself. He learned appropriate gestures and argued with the actor as to the words, O sacred city which seemed to be more lasting than Ida, whether he should raise both hands or hold a lyre in one hand and lift up only the other. This matter seemed to him at that time of more moment than anything else. He started at last about nightfall. He sought counsel from Petronius as to the verses which were to be dedicated to the conflagration. Might he insert blasphemy against the gods? From an artistic point of view would not these expressions have been spontaneously uttered by any man in like position who was losing his fatherland? about midnight he and his splendid court composed of whole detachments of nobility senators knights freedmen slaves women and children approached the city sixteen thousand Praetorians were posted along the roadside in battle array to guard the safety and peace of his journey and to keep the excited people at a distance the people cursed shouted and hissed as they caught sight of the retinue but did not venture to attack them in many places however the mob applauded but they were mainly those who had lost nothing since they had nothing to lose in the fire they hoped for a more liberal distribution of grain olives clothing and money at last the shouting and whistling were drowned in the din of all the trumpets and horns which tigellinus ordered to be sounded when nero arrived at the ostian gate he halted and said O houseless ruler of a homeless people where shall i lay my unfortunate head to-night after passing the clivus delphini he ascended the steps prepared for him on the appian aqueduct he was followed by the augustales and a choir of singers bearing lutes and other musical instruments all held their breath awaiting the expression of some great word which for their own safety they would be bound to remember but Nero remained solemn and silent, clothed in a purple cloak with a wreath of golden laurels on his head, looking at the raging of the mighty flames. When Terpnos handed him a golden lute, he lifted his eyes towards the flame-illumined city as though waiting for inspiration. The people pointed at him from a distance as he stood in the blood-like light. Fiery serpents hissed in the distance. The oldest and holiest monuments were in flames the sacred temple of hercules built by evander the temple of jupiter stator the temple of luna built by servius tullius the house of numa pompilius and the sanctuary of vesta with the pennants of the roman people were all on fire through the waving flames the capital was discerned at intervals the past the soul of rome was burning but caesar stood lute in hand his features set like those of a tragedian careless of the destruction of his country but anxious about the posture of his body and the pathetic words by which he might describe the great calamity stir the most admiration and receive the most applause he hated the city he detested its inhabitants he only loved his songs and his verses he heartily rejoiced that at last he beheld a tragedy not unlike that of which he was writing the maker of verses felt himself happy the declaimer felt himself inspired the seeker for emotions was jubilant at the appalling sight and thought with delight that the destruction of troy was nothing compared with that of this great city what more could he wish there lay rome rome the ruler of the world was in flames while he was standing on the arches of the aqueduct with a golden lute in his hands showily clad in purple admired by all stately and poetic somewhere below there in the darkness the people murmured and grumbled let them murmur ages would pass thousands of years would go by and men would remember and glorify the poet who in such a night sang the fall and burning of troy what was homer yea what was apollo with his lute none could be compared to him here he raised his hands and striking the strings he quoted the words of priam o nest of my fathers o precious cradle His voice in the open air, against the roar of the flames and the distant murmur of the multitude, seemed weak, abrupt, and feeble. The sound of the accompanying instruments was like the buzzing of flies. But senators, officers, and Augustales gathered together on the aqueduct, bowed their heads, and listened in rapturous silence. He sang long, and his subject gradually became sadder at intervals when he stopped to catch breath the chorus of singers repeated the last verse then nero would throw the tragic robe from his shoulders and assuming a tragic gesture which he learned from alatorus would strike the lute and continue his song when at last he finished his composition he began to improvise seeking great comparisons in the sight before him his face changed in reality he was not moved by the destruction of his capital but his delight over his own words caused his eyes to fill with tears he dropped the lute with a clatter at his feet and wrapping himself in his robe stood as if petrified like one of those statues of niobe which adorn the court of the palatine a storm of applause succeeded but the multitude in the distance answered it by howling now there could no longer be a doubt that caesar had ordered the burning of the city so as to provide himself with a spectacle which might move him to song when nero heard the cry of hundreds of thousands of voices he turned to the augustales with a sad smile such as men wear when suffering from injustice and said that is the way that the quirites value poetry and myself knaves answered vatinius lord command the praetorians to fall on them nero turned to tigellinus can i count upon the faithfulness of the soldiers yes o divine one replied the prefect but petronius shrugged his shoulders on their loyalty you can count but not on their numbers remain for the present where you are for this is the safest place but the people must needs be pacified seneca and the consul licinius were of the same opinion meantime the discontent below was increasing the people armed themselves with stones tent-poles with boards from the wagons and wheelbarrows and pieces of iron in due time some of the chiefs of the Praetorian soldiers arrived they reported that the cohorts pressed by the mob retained their line of battle with much difficulty and as they had no orders to attack they knew not what to do Gods, said nero what a night On one side was the conflagration, on the other the tumultuous sea of the mob. He began to look for more poetic expressions, so that he could describe the peril of the moment. But seeing around him pale faces and disturbed looks, he began to share their fears. "'Give me the dark cloak with the hood,' he called out. "'Must we really resort to battle, lord?' hesitatingly replied Tigellinus i have done everything that i could but the danger is threatening speak thou lord to the people and make them ample promises must caesar himself address the mob let somebody else talk to them in my name who will undertake this i said petronius calmly go friend thou art my most loyal friend in need go and be prodigal in thy promises petronius turned to the retinue with a sarcastic glance senators here present he cried and also piso nerva and senecio come with me then he stepped gently down the aqueduct those whom he had summoned went with him not without hesitation but with a certain hope with which his calmness had inspired them petronius stopped at the foot of the arcades and ordered a white horse to be brought to him he mounted it and followed by his companions proceeded between the deep ranks of the pretorians towards the surging black mass of people he was unarmed save only for a light ivory cane which he habitually carried he advanced and pushed his horse into the midst of the crowd all around in the light of the conflagration one could see hands lifted up armed with all kinds of weapons inflamed eyes perspiring faces Roaring and foaming like madly surging waves, the masses surrounded him and his followers. On every side was a sea of heads, moving, pushing, a dreadful scene. The shouts of indignation increased and changed into unearthly roaring. Poles, pitchforks, even swords were brandished above Petronius. Eager hands were stretched towards his horse's bridle and himself, but he kept riding on deeper into the midst of the crowd cool self-possessed and contemptuous at times he struck the most audacious on their heads with his cane as though he were opening a road for himself through an ordinary throng his self-possession his calmness dumbfounded the tumultuous mob at last they recognized him and numerous voices greeted him petronius the arbiter of elegance petronius petronius sounded from every direction at the repetition of that name the crowd became less turbulent the faces less agitated for that brilliant splendid patrician though not seeking popular favor was nevertheless beloved he passed as a munificent friend of the people his popularity had increased since the affair of pedanius secundus when he pleaded for the mitigation of the ruthless edict condemning all the slaves of that prefect to death especially did all the slaves feel a boundless affection for him they loved him as the unfortunate are wont to love those who show them but the smallest favors apart from this they were eager to hear caesar's message nobody doubted that caesar had specially commissioned him he removed his white scarlet bordered toga and waved it over his head a signal that he desired to speak silence silence shouted voices on all sides in a moment the mob was quieted then he straightened himself on his horse and spoke in a calm and collected voice citizens let those who hear me repeat my words to those who stand at a distance all of you behave like men and not like beasts in the arena we listen we listen then hear me the city will be rebuilt the gardens of lucullus maecenas caesar and agrippina will be opened to you tomorrow the distribution of grain wine and olives will begin so that everybody may fill his belly up to his throat after this caesar will prepare games for you such as the world has never seen after this banquets and gifts await you you will be richer after the fire than before he was answered by murmurs which spread from the center to all directions as waves spread when a stone is cast in the water Those who were near repeated the words to those at a distance, but here and there were shouts of anger and applause, which finally turned into a universal cry, ''BREAD AND GAMES!'' Petronius wrapped himself up in the toga, and for some time listened motionless. In his white apparel he resembled a marble statue. The noise from all sides increased in volume, so that it drowned the roaring of the conflagration. But the ambassador evidently had something more to say, for he waited at last once more with upraised hands he commanded silence and cried i promise you bread and games now cheer in honor of the caesar who feeds and clothes you go to sleep ye ragamuffins for dawn is at hand so saying he turned his horse touched lightly with his cane upon the heads and faces of those who stood in his way and slowly proceeded to the Praetorian lines soon he arrived under the aqueduct above there was something like a panic the shouting of the crowd for bread and games had reached caesar he imagined that a new outbreak had taken place and did not expect petronius back in safety so when he saw him he hastened to the steps to meet him pale-faced and full of emotion he asked how goes it what are they doing is fighting begun there petronius drew a long breath and replied by pollux they sweat and produce bad odors let somebody give me a epilimna for i am fainting then he turned to caesar i promised them he said grain olives the opening of the gardens and games they worship the arena and they are bellowing in thy behalf gods what a disagreeable odor these plebeians emit I had the Praetorians ready, cried Tigellinus, and if thou hadst not quieted them, the shouters would have been silenced for ever.tis a pity, Caesar, that thou didst not allow me to use force. Petronius looked at the speaker, shrugged his shoulders, and said this chance is not yet lost thou mayest be able to use it to-morrow no no cried caesar i shall order the gardens to be opened to them and grain to be distributed thanks to thee petronius i shall prepare games and that song which i sang before thee to-day i will sing in public this said he placed his hands on petronius's shoulder and remained silent for a while then starting up he inquired Tell me candidly, how did I appear when I was singing? Thou wert worthy of the scene as the scene was worthy of thee. Answered Petronius, then Nero turned to the fire. Let us gaze at it yet again, he said, and bid farewell to old Rome. End of part Three, Chapter Four.